This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Second hour of Seattle Sports at Night right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Hey, you can check out the Seattle Sports at Night podcast, 710sports.com. Click on the podcast tab. You'll find us there. You can subscribe to the Seattle Sports Tonight podcast on iTunes, Google Play, also anywhere you get your podcast, you can find Seattle Sports Tonight. Make sure you're downloading that, sharing it with all your friends. I mean, that'd be a, a really nice thing to do. We we would appreciate that. Also, leave us a rating. A yes, review. yes, please, and and please make it good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're, they give you a five star option. I don't think there's any other option. That right? there there really isn't. You're and required if, to click five stars. Just so you know, if you give anything less, we will be notified of your location. Yeah, and so, uh, uh, we will find you exactly. So make sure you're not <laughs> giving anything less than five stars. Coming up in about fifteen minutes from now, it was the shot. Heard around the world last night, the dagger that sunk Oklahoma City. Was that the most satisfying Oklahoma City Thunder loss ever? We lost to Sonic, so we can be petty about it all we want. We want to hear from you on the Coors Light text line, 710-710. It is there for you. But tomorrow night, it all becomes real. All of these draft projections, you can really kind of throw them out the window. They don't mean anything after tomorrow night, after 5 p.m., because all of a sudden now, these picks that we've been jockeying back and forth about, they become actual NFL players after tomorrow night. So what should the Seahawks do? They have two draft picks now at 21 and 29 in the first round. Do they stay at the first round? Do they stay at those picks? Do they move one or both or neither? What do they do? We are here to answer that as Seattle Sports Night goes on the clock. And so Jake Heaps, our quarterback expert, our football insider. This is somebody who has had his finger on the pulse of just about every move the Seahawks made this offseason. Tomorrow we're going to have a lot more moves to dissect and digest and just look all up and down at. Yes, we are. Everything that you have seen this draft season, does it point to you or does, does it become known to you at all, that the Seahawks are going to stay at 21, or of the two picks that they have, 21 yeah. and 29, which do you think is more likely that gets moved? Well, it's interesting because 21, you're more likely to find a really, really good pass rusher. Uh, and and I think as this draft is, is coming about, I think that the Seahawks are going to have a really good opportunity to have a really, really good player fall into their lap. Now, at 29, you take a little bit of a risk, but also this has been touted as one of the best defensive line uh, drafts in in a long, long time. So you could push back, and if you traded 21, you could get some really good draft capital out of that and acquire more picks. So there's there's multiple ways that the Seahawks can acquire more picks. They can, they can get a lot out of 21 and maybe move back to 24 or something like that and keep 24-29. They could move 29 back and, and get into the earlier part of the second round, um, or they could try and trade some of the 12 picks that they have in next year's draft to get them uh, back into the game with some more picks for this year. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But if if I had to guess, I think they're, they're going to keep 21 and that, and, and that they will move back their 29th pick. 
Um, that's going to be that's what I think they're going to do. And with that twenty first pick, if they've got somebody there that they really really like, that's really high on their board from a defensive end pass rusher perspective, they are absolutely going to pull the trigger on that. I'm going to disagree with you on that. Okay, even though your football expertise I, I like is it. Bring- much more than mine, I think the Seahawks move back at twenty one to fall somewhere in the range of twenty two to twenty eight. And they stay at twenty nine, and I think you've got you've got the Raiders with two picks, one at twenty four and twenty seven. They may be in a position to where they want to trade up. They've got tons and tons of draft capital to use, and they've also got other picks later on in the draft. You got the Patriots who have twelve total picks in this year's draft, so it's not like they're hurting for draft picks at this point. They could possibly move up, which is something that they don't they don't normally do, but. At pick 32, they've got multiple second-round picks. They've got uh, the 56th and 64th pick. Mm-hmm. I think if the Seahawks are able to get a, a second-round pick at any point tomorrow night, I think they're going to have a greater chance of doing that if they move pick 21 rather than pick 29. I would agree with you on that, and that's something where I think, Curtis, where you go into this is if you got your guy, if you've got – you know, let's say top three on your board from a defensive end perspective, I think you remain at 21 and you pick that player. If you don't, let's say that those top three have gone, uh, then you can feel comfortable uh, targeting somebody else in the second, third round that you could get. And now with with that extra you know, pick or two in the second, third round, because you're not just going to get a second rounder out of that pick, Curtis. You're going to get a second with a third or a second and a fifth, somewhere along those lines. And uh, and now you have the ability to take a defensive end, take a receiver, and take a safety. Uh, and that's ultimately, Curtis, what I think they're going to do with their first three picks is address those three positions right off the top. We've got a text coming in on the Coors Light text line, 710-710. It's always there for you. The 206 says, I haven't heard anybody mention this, but is it at all possible that they trade up with their first two draft picks? No. That I, they package those and go somewhere no. in the the top ten? No. No, no, no. No chance. Because here's the thing. It, you do that, and now even though you have the opportunity to uh, then from there trade down and acquire more picks, to me, I, I just don't see that happening. Um I think Schneider would would be able to to do great things with that, but I think they're more. I think the Seahawks are more comfortable in the mid rounds than any other franchise out there, and I think that's kind of the range of where they want to be. They want to get more instead of lose. So when you hear this noise tomorrow, oh man, that gives me chills. Right, love like, it. Like that's a that's a, one of the great sound effects in sports television. When you hear that noise at pick 21, and it comes up, and let's say the Seahawks, for this exercise sake, stay at 21 and 29, who, or first off, what position do you want them to go to at their very first pick? To me, it's defensive end, without a doubt. Uh, I want a defensive end uh, badly. You need to replace Frank Clark, but also... Uh, it, it is the start of trying to put together this defensive line to add the depth and to add part of the future. And you've got a, 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 I mean, you look at the list. Honestly, the realistic people that the Seahawks could end up getting at that point in time 
Rashawn Gary, I think, is probably going to go higher, but there's a chance that he could. Uh, Brady Henderson, our own uh, ESPN, uh, had had Rashawn Gary going to the Seahawks, mocking him at the Seahawks. Um, now you've got Rashawn Gary, Jeffrey Simmons, Montez Sweat, Klein Farrell, Brian Burns, who are realistically in that range at 21. You could see any one of those guys fall into the Seahawks, and I would be extremely happy with any one of those guys going to the Seahawks. I think they're great players, even though Montez Sweat, uh, there's there's that heart condition issue. I believe that he could be one of the biggest steals out there if he ends up sliding. Now, with pick 29, do you want the Seahawks to stay at D-end or maybe look elsewhere? Well, it just depends at what at what they get. Because now at pick 29, if they feel like, let's say, let's throw the name out, Nikhil Harry. Okay, Nikhil Harry, receiver from Arizona State, or Hakeem Butler, or Paris Campbell from Ohio State. You've got one of those guys... Uh, marked very high on your board, the number one guy on your board, and they're there at 29, and you feel like the next couple uh, teams behind you are going to be threatening to take that player away from you, then you have to take that player. That way then you can, from there, you take receiver at 29, and then you can address the defensive end issue or the safety issue after that. So I'm not. It's not defensive end or nothing for me at, at in the first round or the first pick overall. Uh, but if you're at 29, now you're a little bit more flexible with which which uh, position you're going to end up taking first. Because the other guy that I think is really intriguing, Curtis, is Darnell Savage from Maryland. Darnell Savage, safety from Maryland, is a guy who can play multiple positions. Uh, he can play both safety positions. He can play nickel. And the reason why that's so important, guys or for the listeners out there, is because um, you have Bradley McDougald. Bradley McDougald is as as utility as you can get. He is very good at playing both free safety and strong safety. He's a better strong safety or more comfortable than a free safety. But if you have uh, a, a another player like Darnell Savage that can play multiple positions, now you can spot him and, and, and have him play more matchup than necessarily a particular position. Same thing with Taylor Rapp. And so, yeah, like you mentioned, Savage, he's kind of a late bloomer in this draft, or he's a guy who's gotten a lot of late press. Yes. Uh, he has come on strong in the last couple of days, really rising up draft boards. I, I think that the Seahawks, it, it's hard for me to disagree with their three biggest needs, being a member of the secondary, defensive line, and wide receiver. I think those are the three biggest spots that the Seahawks need. And it's weird to look at the Seahawks and and, and say that the offensive line is no longer a big need, but that's kind of what it is right now. It's not a huge need, even though you don't have, uh, you know, incredible amounts of stability with Mikey Potty at the left guard spot because he's had a lot of years of injury. Yeah. But I mean, there are just way more pressing needs right now than the offensive line. And you see Mel Kuyper Jr. continue to mock the Seahawks with offensive linemen, and it's just like, you know, I don't see that happening. If they do take an old lineman, I think it's going to be in the later rounds. I think it's going to be probably either day two or day three, um, depending on how their board falls in place. Yeah. I don't see it happening on day one the way a lot of these guys who are quote-unquote draft gurus see it. Absolutely. It, but the, I think the part that intrigues people about this is you you actually brought in Caleb McGarry on a top 30 prospect visit. 
who is a right tackle. And right now you have Jermaine Effetti, who you have not uh, given his tender or his uh, fifth-year option to yet. And so you've drafted Jamarco Jones from last year, uh, who you feel pretty good about even though he was on IR and, and like his ability to maybe develop into a nice right tackle. you got uh, George Fant there as well. But uh, if they if they took a Caleb McGarry there, I, I honestly I would not be mad at the pick. Um, doesn't seem like it's necessary, but uh, you could you could definitely solidify your offensive line at that right tackle position with a really, really good player in a Caleb McGarry. I'm with you, though, Curtis. I don't see them doing it. I think they address, like I said, uh, defensive end, receiver, and safety, or secondary. You know, They could have a Trey Flowers type of player that they feel can move in different spots. The other name at receiver I've thrown out, uh, Paris Campbell, I've thrown out uh, uh, Nikhil Harry uh, and Hakeem um, Butler. And Hakeem Butler. Yeah. Uh, but the other uh, name that I think is very interesting to keep an eye on is J.J. Arcega-Whiteside uh, from Stanford. Now, the reason why I say that could be interesting is because he is a 6'2", 225, typical X receiver that, I mean, Stanford was literally just throwing him jump balls because he was so dynamic uh, catching the ball in traffic. Uh, he could be someone that they may go after, uh, and and they've before they have taken someone from the Pac-12 in Paul Richardson that no one else really had uh, pegged high in the second round. So uh, you know that they have kind of a Pac-12 bias with Pete Carroll in their evaluations. So maybe J J Arcega Whiteside is maybe a little bit higher than people anticipate. He's a big guy too. He's had a lot of good years at Stanford. And, I mean, that's why you're the guru. That's why we bring you in here, so you can flex that draft knowledge around. You're not going to get it anywhere else. So, remember, when you hear the Seahawks pick a guy that Jake just mentioned, remember where you heard it first, right here, Seattle Sports at Night. Coming up in about 20 minutes from now, it's big if true. Did the Frank Clark trade, does that mean the Seahawks are not gearing up for a Super Bowl run in 2019? Well, somebody here on the station, they think so. We'll tell you if we agree or disagree with them. But coming up next, Oklahoma City. They are done. They are through in the 2019 season. And we bask in the glory that was Damian Lillard's absolute monster buzzer-beating shot last night. That's up next. Curtis Rogers, Jake Heap, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. 15 minutes from now, it is time for Big If True. Are the Seahawks not going for a Super Bowl title in 2019? What? I, I know, right? What? That seems just completely opposite of... What a team that has just won 10 games and has re-signed their franchise quarterback to a record deal. It kind of seems the opposite of what they could possibly be gearing up for, but there's somebody on this station who, who thinks that could be the case. We answer, or we, 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 we give our thoughts on that next coming up here on Seattle Sports Tonight. Also, coming up at 8:45 it's time for us to answer your questions ask us anything on the Coors Light text line 710-710 it is there for you any single question that's right no no guarantee that we answer it on the air but you can text us anything throw throw it out there ask us anything but 
last night, as it's become sort of tradition here in the city of Seattle, we pause to celebrate the demise of the Oklahoma City Thunder season. And last night, I don't know if there has been a more exuberant way in which their season has ended than last night at the hands of one Damian Lillard. Lillard with 47 tonight, working it down to two to one, a deep three. Oh! What? Blazers win the series, a walk-off three from Lillard. I mean, KC, Kevin Calabro, when you hear that, I mean, I, I get chills on my back right now because of all the tremendous calls he had as the voice of the Seattle Supersonics. I think that's what adds to the moment. Absolutely. Night, is that you had Kevin Calabro, the voice of the Sonics, doing play-by-play for the Blazers against the team that was the Seattle Supersonics, the team that was ripped from our hearts and from our grasp here in the city of Seattle. Like That made the moment to me, resonate more than any other time Oklahoma City has collapsed in the decade plus that they have now been in OKC. Uh, The question was last night the most satisfying thunder loss for us petty Sonics fans over the last decade. Just looking at the list, I think the two biggest before last night were the 2012 NBA Finals against Miami where they lost in five games, and that was the final time that Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Kevin Durant would ever play together. And then in 2016 in the Western Conference Finals, when they were up three games to one on Golden State, had Golden State on the ropes and lost game six when Klay Thompson went nuts, went absolutely berserk in the second half. I believe he set the record at the time for three-pointers in a game, or at least three-pointers made in a playoff game. But last night, just absolutely ratcheted up in my mind in terms of most thrilling loss that Oklahoma City has ever had. And maybe <laughs> it's because my view of the Trail Blazers is a little different than most Sonics fans in that I, I, I worked in Portland for a little bit, and I got to see what that franchise means to that community down in Rip City. And, like, I know what Rip City is. You know, that's always one of those questions, like, what is Rip City? Yeah. I, like, I I'm, I know what that is. Like, it was just one announcer going crazy on a call, and that it became, uh, you know, something that was a, a rallying cry in that franchise's existence. And so um, now you look at just how that shot happened last night. Damian Lillard going for 50 points. He steps back from 37 feet out against an all-NBA defensive player in Paul George, it it should not have gone in, and yet Damian Lillard made it look so easy. And then post-game, waving at their bench. It was just... perfect. It was perfect. Capped off a 50-point performance for Damian Lillard. And here's the thing. Not only all of those things that you just mentioned from a, from a Sonics perspective, uh, being a Seattle fan, also, uh, respecting the heck out of Damian Lillard, the whole time they the NBA played up this rivalry between Damian Lillard and Russell Westbrook, and Damian Lillard was absolutely the good guy, and Russell Westbrook was absolutely <laughs> yes. the bad guy in this case. And th- you also watch the way that they approached the game. 
the interviews, the difference between Damian Lillard, Russell Westbrook, the way that they handled the referees uh, point to, to Damian Lillard, definitely not to Russell Westbrook. He was complaining the whole entire series, uh, call in and call out, uh, and also the lack of respect in my mind that he had for Damian Lillard, just constantly mocking him, uh, the Thunder uh, getting every single chance that they had, even some of their role players taking shots at Damian Lillard for crying out loud, sit down, it is not your uh, feud, uh, get out of here. It's just between those two. And then to finally have Damian Lillard cap it off the way he did was absolutely perfect. And my favorite part about it all, Curtis, is Paul George was the one guarding Damian oh, Lillard, man, and yeah. post-game he sits there and says, that was a terrible shot, that was a terrible shot, uh, he got essentially saying it was lucky. And that is the most petty thing that you could possibly say in that moment. And uh, it, it just made all of it that much sweeter. It just It's like how sore of a loser can you be? Just admit <laughs> when someone has, has outdueled you like Absolutely. That. Give credit where credit's due. And your homeboy and Russell Westbrook absolutely uh, blew it, yes. the possession before, offensively. So you talk about bad offensive shots. Well, Damian Lillard's actually went in, and your and and Russell Westbrook, it did not go well. So and, come on. And also, OKC had many opportunities in that fourth quarter to close it out. They were up fifteen at one point in the fourth quarter. They were up, what was it, eleven with six minutes to go. Like this was this game was in the bag, and Portland just came out of there and like announced in the most emphatic fashion that. No, Oklahoma City, you will not win. In fact, you will never win. This is a, a cursed franchise, as, as Danny O'Neill has put it so eloquently in his column today on 710sports.com. If you haven't had a chance to read that, make sure you do, because there is a, a lot of pettiness from one Danny O'Neill, who is the champion of all sorts of petty when it comes to the Sonics' departure and, and the struggles that Oklahoma City has had in getting over the top ever since leaving there. But you look at Oklahoma City and you look at that roster and how it's built. I look at, at Russell Westbrook and his future in the NBA kind of in the same way that Allen Iverson played with Philadelphia, where he's a he's a really good player on his own, like in, in a vacuum, a tremendous player. But when you put pieces around him, he doesn't get better. He doesn't get better. He doesn't make the other pieces around him better. We saw it with Kevin Durant. Like those two guys played together for the better part of a decade, Russell Westbrook didn't make KD better, right? And Russell Westbrook isn't making Paul George any better than he is right now. No. And you look at the um, the volume of shots that it takes to keep Russell Westbrook happy in Oklahoma City's offense. Like, I'm sorry, but like you're never going to win that way when no. when one guy is dominating the ball the way he is. Like, and and then you look at Oklahoma City's cap situation. They're well over the luxury tax. They're going to pay it back-to-back seasons, which means it ramps up. I believe they had to pay $60 million in luxury tax this ah, season. bummer. Yeah, that's I know. So, that's, oh, darn. That's so, I feel so bad for oh, them. Oh, yeah. Just keep paying that money, Clay Bennett. Yeah, meanwhile, they didn't want to pay James Harden an extra like $13 million back in the day. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but if you put James Harden on this team right now, I think they probably get past Portland. Yeah, I you're probably he, right. I think they probably go very far into, you know, where it is, very far into the NBA Finals if James Harden's still there. And I think if Harden's still there, then also Kevin Durant is still there. But 
I am more than all right with seeing them continue to lose in such heart-wrenching fashion the way they lost last night. Without a doubt. And also this, for me, uh, with Damian Lillard, I've always I've always thought that he was in the pantheon of, of NBA basketball and that he was an underrated player. If this doesn't put him in, in the front of everyone's mind in terms of who is the better point guard between him and Russell Westbrook or that he is, might be the best point guard in the NBA altogether, I, I, I don't know what will determine that for you because Damian Lillard – uh, definitely put the team on his back and uh, and performed at such a level with with uh, you know the emotional stake that that it that the series was for him. Uh, I mean, it was just it was incredible to watch, and I've always respected the way he's approached this game. Dame Dalla just absolutely going nuts last Let's night. Let's go. 50 can we points. can we listen to the sound just one more time, yes, Curtis? Please. Absolutely, please. Lillard with forty seven tonight, working it down to two to one, a deep three. Oh! I mean, I, I, even though it wasn't a Sonics game, like that call from Kevin Calabro, I think gets put on his on his Hall of Fame mantle. Absolutely. If that's not on his montage, I don't know what is because that was an incredible call. Oh my goodness! So shout out to Kevin Calabro giving us one last magic carpet ride, or at least one one more magic carpet ride that we've been begging so desperately for here in the city of Seattle over the last decade. But coming up next here on Seattle Sports Tonight. After having traded Frank Clark, does this signal that the Seahawks are not gearing up for a Super Bowl title in 2019? We answer that next. Curtis Rogers, Jake Heap, Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into Seattle Sports Night right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps here with you. Coming up at 845, we answer your questions. Ask us anything. Ask us literally anything on the Throw, throw it out there. Line. Yeah, exactly. 710-710 right here. Seattle Sports at night. But as we do each night around 830, it's time for Big If True. And in tonight's edition of Big If True, there's somebody on this station that thinks the Seahawks could be taking a step back in 2019. Mm. Who could that be? Let's find out. This can't be happening! Big. You can't be serious, man. If. Did Did he he say say that? that? True. History is going to change. The bottom line on the hottest opinions of the day. You cannot be serious! Well, tonight on Big If True, one Mike Salk, he thinks the Seahawks could be taking a step back in 2019 when it comes to their Super Bowl aspirations, which seems wild to think about based off of what they have done this offseason. Or maybe it's not as wild to think about considering the move they made with Frank Clark. But, Jake, you have felt very strongly about this today. You've been chomping at the bit, ready to go, just wanting to, to get after it and, and let Mike have a <laughs> have a piece of what you want to give him. 
So let him have it, Jake. <laughs> Unleash oh. the berserker. All right, let's go. I, I think that uh, – with, with Salk's point is that, look, if you felt that you were absolutely primed and ready to go to win a Super Bowl right now, that you would keep Frank Clark on a franchise tag deal and that you would let him walk because the value that Frank Clark has for this year is a Super Bowl run. Uh, look, I, I understand that perspective, but at the same time, you've got Russell Wilson for five years. You're hopefully going to lock in Bobby Wagner for the next three, four years. And you've got a clear window of a championship run. And so if it doesn't happen this next year, you're building yourself for success over the course of five years. And I believe that they still have the makings of putting together a roster that still is Super Bowl worthy. Now, last year when they got into the playoffs, I think we all knew that this team was not going to go to the Super Bowl, that they could... Uh, make a nice run that maybe they could beat the Cowboys. Maybe they could get one more win after that. But in the championship game, it would probably end then. Uh, and so last year was a nice surprise to see them be able to turn this thing around in a quote-unquote retooling year and to get a jump start. Now, with them moving forward, I've said all along from when the season ended that the Seahawks are a few few moves away from being in Super Bowl contention and a few moves away from taking a step back from last year's 11-win season. I believe that the Frank Clark deal was more of a, we talked about the run last year being more to their philosophy. I think the Frank Clark deal is, although they would have loved to have had Frank Clark, I think it's more getting back to the philosophy of depth. They need to have great depth uh, across the defensive line position. And when you look at, the Super Bowl run that they were able to have, they legitimately had six to eight defensive linemen, Curtis, from a defensive pass rush and a defensive tackle position. Your uh, ones and twos uh, were there was no drop off uh, from those two positions from from the two rotations, and so you were able to have great depth that just they were able to continue to rotate guys and keep them fresh and and uh, and wear guys out. Whereas typically in offense, they're geared in, in to try and wear out the defensive line. And at times last year, they were able to do that because there was simply a huge lack of depth up front. And now you have the ability to capture that. They were able to sign a Cassius Marsh, a Nate Orchard, uh, some, some veteran pieces that, look, they're not going to be stellar star players but they're going to provide anywhere from four to five sacks. Maybe if if you get them on a uh, in a great year, they could provide maybe six. And we saw it last year in the distribution of sacks across the defensive line. It was Frank Clark with 13, Jaron Reed with 10, and then the next highest guy was Quentin Jefferson with, what, three? Yeah, and and that's not – you can't win ball like that, Curtis. No. You can't do it. You have to have more production all across the board. And you have to have a bevy of guys that can come in and, and get things done. And so now you hopefully add a really nice piece in the draft. Uh, and then you have the ability to spend money to get one or two uh, veteran uh, pass rushers that have a good history of getting things done. Now the injuries are there, and that's a concern, but they have the ability to get to the pass rush. And if there's anybody that I have confidence in uh, for them being able to pinpoint talent in free agency it's the Seahawks that's how they were able to do this thing 
last time around. They were able to get Chris Clemens. They were able to identify Cliff Averill. They were able to identify uh, Michael Bennett on a cheap deal. Uh, they were able to uh, acquire really good talent to create that depth, and I think that that's what they're trying to get back to more than anything, Curtis, is that uh, if they would have paid Frank Clark, if they would have paid, if, if they're going to pay Jaron Reed, then you don't have the ability to have that depth across the board. And I think you look at, like you said, the era in which the Seahawks were most successful is when they weren't paying one single guy on that defense a ton where you weren't able to distribute the talent around as much as possible. The Seahawks are back in a position now to where they can get multiple guys for what they were going to pay Frank Clark. And all of a sudden, you give Pete Carroll and John Schneider a quantity of guys rather than a quality of guys, I think you're going to see them shine their very best. And we've seen it so often with Pete and John, defensive linemen specifically, come in and have career years and really perform the best that we've ever seen them play in their NFL careers once they get to Seattle here. You know, Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett, they had their best years in Seattle. You had Chris Clemens with his best years ever under Pete and John. Uh, Deion Jordan was a complete lost cause in the NFL, and then they brought him in. He had his best years in Seattle. So, yep. it's, it, you know, it's it, it's not just the super talented guys like Averill and Bennett that had their best seasons, but also the guys who were on the scrap heap like Chris Clemens, who mm-hmm. had been a journeyman defensive lineman who then became just an absolute havoc wreaker. And then you've got uh, let me, let me rattle Jordan as well. Yeah, let me rattle off this group for you. They had Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett, Red Bryant, who they moved to defensive end as more of a run stuffer. You had Chris uh, Chris Clemens, Tony McDaniel, Jordan Hill, who had his uh, had a couple, good couple of productive years, yeah. who didn't become a long-term uh, player for us, but was productive during that time. Clinton McDonald, Bruce Irvin, Brandon Mebane. I mean, the talent and depth that they had <laughs> at the insane. defense, was in, it was incredible, Curtis. They could roll out any guy. You wanted to stuff the run? They had answers. You wanted to get after passer? Oh, they had four guys that could do it. Um, and, and that's the uniqueness that, that the Seahawks were able to have. And so uh, that's what it signifies to me, is not that we're going to put all our eggs in one basket with one or two players, but that we're going to try and spread this thing out through the defensive line to acquire depth, to acquire guys that can get it done from a ones and two standpoint. You need a little bit of development from your young guys in Rasheem Green, Jacob Martin, uh and 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 some of the and Naj Jones. You need some of these guys to really step up. Puna Ford, uh and and then add some pieces around them through free agency to bolster this group to give them the depth that they need. And if they can do that, Curtis, this group could be a huge surprise coming into this season. Uh, more so than anybody anticipated, and certainly more so than Mike Salk is. Ooh, call him by name. Say it with your chest, Jake. Say it with your <laughs> chest. I love it. Listen to Seattle Sports Tonight via the 710 Sports app. It is driven by your Puget Sound Acura dealers. Coming up next, we answer your text questions and ask us anything. So text that Coors Light text line. It's there for you, 710-710. That's coming up right up next here on Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Ah, uh, yes. 
Seattle Sports at Night with you for just a couple more moments here on this Wednesday. NFL Draft tomorrow. Jake, you're going to be part of the day one and two coverage. Yes. So you're going to be on the, the video stream day one. I believe you're also going to be live from three to six on Friday. Yes, yeah. I will be. So there's going to be a lot going on, a lot to cover. So I hope everybody's there uh, following the stream. Heck with heck with those other guys. Heck with Mel Kuyper Jr. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, all the other professionals, the gurus that they call themselves. Come over and hang out with us. Yes. We're going to have a great time. We're, we're the fun team over here. Everybody, it's all hands on deck over the next three days. You're going to hear from so many voices here on this station. They're even going to be wheeling me out on Saturday morning. Whoa! Yeah, so, there we go. Yeah, Lydia Cruz and myself, we're going to be there Saturday morning doing our thing. Uh, and then also Stacey Rost, who you know and love here on Seattle Sports Tonight. She's not here with us tonight, but she's going to be doing all sorts of draft coverage. She's going to be with you tomorrow night on the video stream, correct? And and also That's right, Danny O'Neill. Yep. Yeah, Danny O'Neill. So you three hooligans just going to be having all sorts of fun on that video stream tomorrow. So I'm super excited. Make sure that you are texting in 710 or make sure that you're texting in draft to 710-710 to get your draft updates all throughout the three days of coverage we've got here on 710sports.com and also here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Let's cap off tonight as we do each and every time on Seattle Sports Tonight with your text questions. Coors Light text line is there for you. 710-710. Text from the 503 asking, which is the better buzzer beater, Dame Lillard last night or Isaiah Thomas in the Pac-10 championship in 2011? Mm. I'm going to answer this as someone who was on the worst end of the Isaiah Thomas Pac-12 buzzer beater. It is <laughs> it is Damian Lillard's buzzer beater that is the best of the two. 100%. I would say Isaiah Thomas was pretty dang good. Uh, man, that was a really fun game to watch. And that was a, I mean, not for you, Curtis, no. but uh, for me, it was, I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. But I would say Damian Lillard's because the shot that he made, uh, just everything about it was just, it's sensational. So I, I would say Damian Lillard. I mean, maybe I got recency bias, but I'm pretty confident in that answer. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm okay with with Damian Lillard taking that that title away from Isaiah Thomas. Like uh, <laughs> that, that's that's all right with me. Just because like, it happened to your Wildcats, Curtis. That's exactly why it happened. You like, were crying in that moment. I probably was. I was, uh, I was. It was my first year at Arizona. Here's the Isaiah Thomas call. Like I'm being a team player here. Yeah, please. And playing it for you guys. Thank you. Like all right, thank I'll, you, Curtis. Shot clock turned on. Oh no! What happened? Oh no! Oh, <laughs> nothing happened. Oh, oh, that is that is petty right there. <laughs> okay, there we go. Okay, all right. Now that was good, but Kevin Calabro, who is local. Gus Johnson is great. Like I love him on college basketball, but he's not Seattle. It's true. Kevin it's true. Calabro is about as two oh six as it gets. It is. Let's let's pay our respects to Kevin Calabro. We've heard this throughout the night, but we're gonna play it some more. Lillard with forty seven tonight. Working it down to two to one. A deep three. Oh! What? Blazers win the series. A walk off three from Lillard. 
Where did he get Fly Fly away from? I don't know. That was incredible. People are trying to say that that was an ode to Dave Niehaus, and if it was, I mean, tip of the cap to two of the greatest to ever hop on the mic here in Seattle. I don't know if that's what it really was. He may have just been kind of trying to piece together words at that point because clearly he was losing his mind on that call. For sure. But, For sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, we also got more texts coming in on the Coors Light text line. From the 360, guys having trouble deciding what to eat for the draft. Pizza with wings, a giant sub sandwich, or sliders. Which would you guys choose? Yeah, to me, there's really no choice on this one. This is uh, a pizza a pizza with wings type of night. Yeah. Uh, without a doubt. And, uh, you know, it's, it's giant sub sandwich, uh, I just don't think that cuts it. You're going to have, like pieces of that sub sandwich for days afterwards oh yeah there's a pizza with wings if you just are around the family because the draft really isn't one of those get together no. nfl viewing events you're going to be home by yourself or with your family family can crush a pizza with wings and wings. yeah you're going to be with your you're going to be with your boys you're going to be with your friends watching uh, the draft having a great time pizza and wings is, is definitely where it's at yeah you can never go wrong with pizza and wings ever like ever it literally it was a, it yes. was a, in my family Curtis it was a food group yes my my dad if literally and my mom was gone for anything it was pizza no questions asked no complaints no complaints pizza uh, just like with buddy the elf candy was a food group <laughs> pizza was a food group in the heat household and syrup from the 253, since it's my birthday, will you at least answer this test? Well, happy birthday to 253. Yes, happy birthday. They're asking, what do you think the real reason Adam Silver has no interest in bringing Seattle an NBA team again? It's clear Seattle is a city deserving. What ultimately is the grudge against Seattle? I don't think there's a grudge against Seattle. I think it's owners not wanting to give up their piece of the pie of the revenue pie that the nba's got going on right now where they've got an incredible tv deal that es espn has signed up for they are just rolling in cash right now and you bring in another franchise like that that means less revenue from that collective pot that goes into your absolutely pocket well and right now the nba uh, the nba in seattle is just seattle's not ready for it you don't have a situation right now where we're ready to take on a team. We don't have a arena yet. We're working to get that done. And if we can show that we can have a successful NHL franchise here in Seattle, I I truly believe that's going to be the nail in the coffin for the NBA eventually coming into Seattle. So we've got some work to do to prove uh, what we as Seattle fans uh, that we have an arena to show for and that we have, again, proving our fan base, which to me is without question, uh, one of the best in the entire country. And one day, hopefully soon, I, th- I would say within the next five years, six years, we're going to have the NBA back. I, I'm I'm right there with you and hoping that the NBA gets here immediately. But you look at the arena situation yeah, the key arena is getting remodeled, and it's going to be a brand spanking new building when it opens in 2021. But the NBA really considers that a non-starter. Like they don't really consider that to be an option to house an NBA team, just based off of the traffic concerns getting in and out. Right. And yeah, the OVG group has said that they will address those and they will fix the area and make it much easier, much more accessible to to car commuters and also to yeah, just we'll foot commuters, but we'll see on We'll that. see about that. I don't know, I, I don't I, know what so, they're thinking. If they're going to wave their magical wand, they're already putting $900, $900 million into this renovation yeah. right now. 
to to see how they can uh, alleviate some of the traffic concern. I, uh, good luck to you. Yeah, uh, you, I went to the Warriors Kings exhibition game back in October. Uh, here on East Lake, which is where our studios are uh, located. It's not that far of a drive from here over to Lower Queen Anne, yeah. where the key arena is. I hopped in an Uber. It took me an hour to get from here all the way to Key Arena. Like that's that is wild in such a <laughs> short distance. Imagine somebody coming from South King County or Pierce County Absolutely. up here to try and get a seat at, at the new Key Arena as traffic currently exists. Like that's just some of my be- best C- Sonics memories. Uh, were there were a lot of them being in the arena watching the game, but I also have a lot of memories of walking to the game with my dad <laughs> and literally having a almost die experience because my dad's jaywalking, we're rushing, we're trying to get into the game, making things happen. It was a madhouse trying to get into those games every other night. Oh man, great times, great times at the Key Arena. Hopefully. I miss them. Yeah, I, I miss them. Dearly, and especially with nights like last night, where you, you see Blazers fans, and you know they're just so close by, but it's it's just like, man, I wish that was us. I, and I I say this sort of half joking, but like I would have loved to had that been the Sonics last night rather than OKC, just because of the fact that like we would have had an NBA team. Like no I would I would kill to have that level of sports pain after a defeat like that. Because it means we would have a team back. Like I want to feel that again. I want to be on on the receiving end of that, but I also want to have those kinds of moments here in Seattle and give those to other teams. And uh, you know, unfortunately, we're just kind of left here on the sideline. That's right. That's, that's right. One day we'll get them back, Curtis. Absolutely. And, and tomorrow we're just one day away from the NFL draft. You do not want to miss that. Draft coverage here on 710 ESPN Seattle begins at 3, live from Seahawks headquarters, an all-star cast of characters. They will bring it to you. Also, there may be some pretty special guests showing up during the draft coverage. You don't want to miss those. That's tomorrow night, also Friday and Saturday. That's going to do it for us. For the quarterback, Jake Heaps, I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Seattle Sports Tonight on 710 ESPN Seattle.